Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 140, recorded September 21st, 2013. Right, so today's our 75th 90s episode and we're covering DC Comics, the original series, issues 76 through 78. Yes, going retro. I'm loving it. Right, so if you were following along and you realized that we might have skipped a few original series issues here recently, if you recall way back in episode, what was it, 50? Oh, it was episode 50. We did issues 73 through 75 back in episode 50, so we didn't want to repeat them here, so we've actually skipped uh, the original series in the normal batting order. Right, and those are the ones that we're talking about, Kirk and Carol Marcus and other folks back in uh, Academy days. Was that it? Right, and the and the birth of little David. Oh, little David. Yes. Little curly-haired David. Indeed. So uh, here we are, uh, and I think until the end of the series, which is issue 80, I think we stay in the uh, original series TV show time frame. Which I like. Yeah, and we're kind of starting off a, a fairly large story arc this week. We have basically what's two issues of it, even though they don't count the first issue as part of it for some reason again. And then I think it'll cover almost to the end this uh, hunted story arc. Right. That's interesting. So 76, of course, is a one-off. But 77 is where they first introduce a new villain. But they don't count that as part of the story arc? 78 is the beginning of that story arc? 78 is... Hunted Part 1. Interesting. Okay. It's crazy, right? It's wacky. So, uh, as Ken just mentioned, the first one's kind of a one-off, and unfortunately, they may be the weakest of the three. But overall, I'm kind of digging the retro time frame. Right, because it is in the time frame of the original pilot, or the second pilot, sorry, where no man has gone before. So we get to see Gary Mitchell in action again. Well, in the first one, and then the other two, I... I think you're probably based after the third season. That would be yeah. my guess. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, but I was talking about the first issue. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. The one-off. Or the one-off. Mm-hmm. The All right. One. Well, do you want to just jump into it, or should we chit-chat some more? Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So issue 76 is entitled Prisoners, and it came out October of 1995. Writer is Kevin J. Ryan. Penciler is Rachel Ketchum. Inker is Mark Hickey. Letterer is Phil Felix. Colorist is Ray Murtaugh. And editor is Margaret Clark. The cover shows Kirk and Gary Mitchell watching as a beaten Spock is either dragged away from or towards them. Kirk has his arm outstretched to the unconscious science officer. Kirk and Mitchell are wearing the yellow Starfleet sweaters from The Cage and Where No Man Has Gone Before episodes, 
while Spock, for some reason, is wearing a tattered blue normal original series tunic. So a little maybe mix up in the uh, artwork there on the cover. The story starts off sometime before the events of Where No Man Has Gone Before. The Enterprise has arrived at a new planet. Spock, Kirk, and Mitchell speculate how the civilization, which seems to be on par with the 21st century Earth, has developed the trans-tater and subspace communications before it ever mastered warp drive. They speculate that this could be due to some external influence, or it could just be the uh, byproduct of a natural discovery. Regardless, these people have been listening to subspace chatter for quite some time and are now officially asking for Starfleet to pay them a visit. Before long, Ahura informs the captain that the planet's prime minister is hailing them. Once on the main screen, Kirk exchanges some pleasantries. The prime minister tells him that they're looking forward to their first extraterrestrial visitors. He gives Kirk some coordinates to beam down to. But he informs the captain that he regrets that he's not going to be able to meet him in person. Shortly, Spock, Kirk, and Mitchell materialize on the roof of a skyscraper. The trio are surprised that no one is there to meet them. Soon, a large group of people arrive with guns drawn. They demand that the crew drop their weapons, communicators, and any other devices and come with them. They also state that they're being placed under arrest. They refuse to tell Kirk and the others what they're being tried for, and they start to escort them into the building and forcing them to put their hands on their heads. Back on the Enterprise, Scotty is in command, and he's worried that the away team has not reported in yet. He asks Ahura to try to contact the Prime Minister again. She tries, but she is answered by a man who says he's from the Department of Planetary Corrections instead. This man tells them that the crew has been arrested and placed in prison for the rest of their lives. Just as before, they refuse to tell anybody what they're being tried for, what the crew could have done to warrant this imprisonment. He also tells them that the judgment is final and that there is no trial or possibility of appeals. He does then give Scotty a copy of the planet's laws for future reference. Back in the prison, the away team is being processed for incarceration. They try to escape. A fistfight ensues, but once one of the guards gets a muzzle of a gun up to Kirk's head, the other two crew members relent and allow themselves to be booked. Before long, they are escorted to their cells. Fortunately, the three will be cellmates for the rest of their lives. Back on the Enterprise, they are unable to get a lock on the crew. Nor have they been able to find what law the crew might have broken in the ten minutes that they were on the planet before they were arrested. The Prime Minister then calls them and invites Scotty to send another away team down to the planet. Scotty basically laughs in his face and hangs up on the man. In the prison cell, the guards supply the crew with three prisoner uniforms. Kirk refuses to put them on. This type of defiance is odd in this society, so the guards will bring Kirk to talk to the warden. Once in the warden's office, Kirk is told that the judgment on this planet is superior to that of other planets. They basically imprison 20% of the population, and the rest of the citizens stay in line due to fear of being imprisoned themselves. He also tells Kirk that he knows 
the only way to get to Kirk would be through his friends. When Kirk is brought back to his cell, he's shocked to find that Spock is missing. Shortly, a battered Spock is dragged into the cell. Torturing Spock to get Kirk to calm down seems not to have worked. Kirk plays up how injured Spock is, and that the guards did not know how bad they injured a Vulcan. As the guard comes in to check, the three overpower him, and they steal the guns. They leave the cells and open the doors to all the other cells, but are somewhat surprised that none of the other prisoners attempt to escape. They also start the sprinkler system to delay the guards in pursuit. They make it to a terminal and are able to contact the Enterprise, and they're beamed aboard. Once aboard the ship, Kirk orders Scotty to beam the Prime Minister up to the ship and charge him for kidnapping Starfleet officers. Spock tells the captain that the Prime Minister will be given a trial and more than likely released. He hopes that the Prime Minister's time within the Federation court system will open their eyes to a new judicial system. The end. What an optimist Kirk is. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, the Prime Minister already is well aware of the Federation judicial system. That's why he he thinks that their, their way is so much better. Exactly. He isn't going to see squat. Right. Although, one thing I really like about this, there's several things I like about the issue. Overall, not the best issue in the world, but but good. But a couple things I like the best about it is there's all kinds of prime directive ramifications here. It's like, you're not supposed to mess with other planets. And don't you think taking their prime minister would be an issue? But then they always say, ooh, a healthy, thriving evolving society you're not supposed to mess with because that was the the thing Kirk sometimes used like with the Landrew thing and all that kind of thing you know th- this is not a forward moving society it needs to be changed right um, you know you may not like these guys judicial system but <laughs> and I think it's it's fundamentally horrible but <laughs> it isn't there prime directive ramifications with what Kirk's doing here and I don't see a way around that Except that they were invited. I mean, oh. so that I mean, that's that's the whole thing is that that they were so invited kidnapping. to the place. They it's were ba- basically there. The prime minister is guilty of kidnapping. Right. Okay, and then that's what they'll charge him for. Exactly. Yeah, because they invited him to come visit the planet. Yep. And then when they visited, they just arrested him and threw him in prison. Okay, so that's fine from a standpoint of breaking Starfleet laws. Even though I'm sure there's some kind of thing <laughs> where, you know, heads of state or people from other planets might have some kind of judicial immunity, but maybe that's only if they're ambassadors or something. I don't know. It all gets kind of mucky. But I, I do think that their hopes that they're going to change their penal system is definitely messing with the uh, – that's definitely prime directive breaking material there, at least. Right. So, eh. Yeah, but as we've seen, and especially in these DC comics, for whatever reason, there's quite a few stories that have to do with the Federation trying to fix the judicial systems of other cultures. Oh. Remember that Next Generation one where Data was being tried for crashing into those oh, right. mm-hmm. stupid people? Right. <laughs> stupid people. <laughs> well, because they crashed into them on purpose, so that's why I call them yeah. stupid. Yeah, yeah. So don't don't you think it's odd that there's two different storylines that have to do with 
changing judicial systems that came out around the same time? Yes. Yeah. Well, that one was interesting because more of that was focused on – it's almost like a um, – what's that a TV show, Law & Order? So that previous one with Data, that was mostly a court trial focus, where this one is more like uh, – this issue where we just got through reading – is more like the incarceration end of it. <laughs> so they're, they're, right. you don't have a trial in this issue. You just go right to jail. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's kind of interesting too. How they're focusing on different aspects of the penal system or the right. law and justice system. Um, and I, I got to tell you, as I was reading through this, I'm reading it and I'm going, okay, well, you know, what did they do? I'm still wait. I'm looking forward <laughs> to finding out what they did. And right. then when they finally said, uh, we just throw 20% of our population. Into, into prison, and if you're going to come and interact with us, we need to throw some of you guys in prison, too, to set an example for, uh, you know, the, for us, your Federation people. And it's like, really? That's what it is? Oh, man, those guys have balls of brass. Woo! Yeah, I thought that was a little odd. Odd? odd. I mean, yeah, it... <laughs> yeah. And it's like, Wow! Wow! And it's like, um, but you know, the, you know, when it comes to incar- uh, applying law and incarcerating people, and, and how you want to handle your society, I mean, you could be on the one end, you know, more liberal, and you're innocent until proven guilty, and there is something that protects the people's rights too. Or you can go on the other end of the spectrum, where it's the government's going to find you guilty, and you really have no. You're guilty until you're proven otherwise, and if if the authorities say you're guilty, you're going in. Right. And this thing is obviously the extreme other end of the spectrum. And I, you know, the idea that they would just say 20% of the population gets locked away so that the re- other 80% stay in line, wow, I've never thought of anything like that. I think it's very do you, interesting. Do you think it would work, though? I I, I would hope there would be a revolution. <laughs> I would hope there would be a revolution, but right. And it, and and what I, I I did like that. I thought that was an interesting concept. But if you were one of those twenty percent and you were in prison just because you had to be part of the twenty percent, right? Do you think that they would be okay with it, and that they would have just stayed in their cells when they were given the chance to leave? Because I think that it would have built up resentment for the twenty percent that are in prison. Right. That, you know, they would see that this is not fair, that I'm in prison just because to keep everybody else in line when I didn't really do anything wrong. Yeah. I, I agree with you. However, how long do you keep your defiance if you're locked away in a prison, a gulag like this, and there's no hope of getting out? Because, right. I mean, that's what they were going to do to Kirk and the rest of them. You know, we're basically going to oppress you enough that eventually you're... Your spirit, uh, your spirit will be broken. Yeah, right. There you go. And after you're in long enough, you might not even know any other way to live. I don't know. Right. Yeah, good point. But yeah. Anyway, so I I love how Scotty <laughs> when the uh, so after they're already imprisoned and mm-hmm. and then the prime minister says he was welcoming Scotty to send down another landing party. <laughs> and then Scotty goes, are you, are you crazy? 
<laughs> I mean, what, uh, what what exactly did he say? My mom um, didn't raise any idiots or something like that. Well, not yeah, exactly. And he and he calls the pr- the minister a kidnapper and a common criminal. Oh, I love that. You go, man, Scotty. Yes. Yeah, Scotty had some really good lines. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Yeah. No. Overall, I enjoyed this issue. I, I don't think I liked it as well as the next two that we're going to read. Right. But, uh, you know, it was good. I, I do wish that Gary Mitchell would have been more of a player oh. than just there. He was just there. I completely agree with that. I mean, I guess he's making some one-liners about keeping their humor up and things like that, but that didn't really add anything to the story for me. No. No, he, he could have been a red shirt. You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, right. On the one hand, love seeing Gary there, but he did nothing. Yeah, which is too bad. Another uh, guest star you don't see very often was Transtaters. They <laughs> mentioned Transtaters again. Yes. So, as we've mentioned in the past, Ken nor I remembered what a Transtater was, and it was mentioned in a comic book, and we, I think it was a gold key, and we called BS on them. Yeah, we did. And then, uh, you know, somebody pointed out uh, that it is... Was that Brian? Actually, yeah, Brian brought it up. And then since then, I've I've heard it in episodes of the show and both Voyager and original series, so... Oh, Voyager brought it up, too? Yeah, Voyager's brought it up a few times, yeah. too, so... That's Oops. funny. <laughs> yeah, so the original time, I think, was a piece of the action. Sec- was that second season? I think it was second season. Taz. Oh, is, is that the first time they bring it up? That's the first time I'm aware of, and that was the example that Brian cited. Right. So, so. indeed, I went back and looked at it. At the end of the uh, episode, they mentioned it clear as day. It's like, oh, okay. Yes, the training stator, the basis of all Federation technology. Yeah, or which something is like fun. that. Yeah, and that, that just reminds me of... Transtaters reminds me of taters, which reminds me of starchy vegetables, and it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I wish they would have came up with a better name, but okay. Transtaters. Anyways, so, uh, all right, uh, let's see. I didn't like the explanation of what a sprinkler is. I thought that was oh. a, a little forced. <laughs> so right. I, I didn't bring it up in the synopsis, but basically what happens is that they turn on the sprinklers to try to get people to get out of their rooms and to slow down the guards, but they have to describe it. There's this old ancient way of putting out fires with water from the yeah. ceiling. Low pressure, low pressure water, whatever's. Yeah. But I mean, he had to explain it, and then he said, and they call them sprinklers. I'm like, yeah. oh, come on. Well, you, you could have called it that in the first place and just moved on. But. Right. Everybody reading the book is going to know what a sprinkler is. Yeah. I, I do like how Spock figured out the combination on the, was it the door lock of their cell or something? Oh, by listening to the tones? Right. And that it's, the the tone the tones it made was in a frequency apparently that that humans can't hear or these uh, these aliens can't hear. But he right. can with his Vulcan ears. I thought that was kind of... I kind of liked it. I, I bought that. Okay. No, I liked it too. But, I mean, how did he know which button they were hitting for which tone? I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point, good point. That's what I thought when I read that. But I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to go with it. There you go. My last comment on this one is the artwork. In general, I don't like it. 
It's a little oh. too rough for my for my taste. It's a little bit too rough and basic. Okay. Yeah, that's just my opinion. I I didn't think it was that bad. Um, I really liked the uh, the ships. I thought that uh, the maybe only the one time you actually see a ship in this issue. Uh, there at the end, I really thought that was a fitting end of the episode. Just showing the Enterprise in profile, flying away. I liked it. Yeah, I'm jumping to that now. But yeah, now that, that now that I thumbed through the book, that is the only shot of the ship. Yeah. So maybe yeah, it's that, the other looks, issues I'm thinking of. Yeah, that looks like a pretty stock shot too of the Enterprise going around a planet. Yes, and it should because that's how yeah. every episode of the show ended. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I think they had like, you know, what, five or six shots, and that's how every single episode <laughs> Yeah, and that's another comment about the redone special effects. When they went ahead and redid the special effects for the original series so they could, like, I don't know, show it on TV more or something, sell DVDs, Blu-rays, definitely they mixed it up more than the original show. Right. So the angles at which you would see the Enterprise was mixed up a little bit more, which I liked. Uh, and of course, as I might have mentioned in a previous episode, when you compare the original special effects to the redone ones, which you can do with the more recent Blu-ray releases, God, those old special effects in some cases were really bad. <laughs> yes, they were. Oh, my God. So right. I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. I know I've said this to Donovan before. I'm just not really sure if I said this while on a recording. Yeah, what I think was great about those remastered special effects was, you know, sometimes they would be following a ship and it would just be like a a blob of light, right? Right. And, then, and that's what they were following and it was supposed to be some sort of alien craft they're following. And then, yeah. then with the special editions, you can actually see a ship that has exhaust that's kind of making the light, but you can actually see a real ship as well. And right. uh, I, I really digged all that. Yeah, so Journey to Babel was a good example of that. Yeah, where, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. So instead of that little little point of light that would just come from the distance and just zoom right past them really fast, you actually, they actually replaced the little glowing dot with uh, a, a, sh- a ship. I mean, it was still a little a small thing, but you could see uh, there that there was a ship structure there. Yep, that was much better. The Fasarius in Carbomite Maneuver looked a lot better, especially in the close-up shots when the Enterprise is like right in front of it, and then it just completely takes over the background. Viserys looked much better, rather than just a bunch of glowing beach balls all stuck together. <laughs> uh, and then the little ship that went off and towed the Enterprise, which was, again, just a smaller bunch of little beach balls all stuck together. They made that look much better. And the Horta? He still looks the same. Uh, the Horda looks the same, because that was a guy <laughs> in a suit. However, they the first time you see the Horta and and the wall kind of melts away, and then he, then he comes out to where Kirk is, they did do a better job of showing the hole being made and then the Horta coming out. So, yeah, they, they did not replace the guy in the suit <laughs> with a computer-generated Horta. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, you want to get back on track with these comics and please let's jump into the next issue. Yes. All right. It's yours, buddy. Thank you. So this next one is issue number 77. The title is Deadlock. Publish date November 1995. 
Writer is Kevin J. Ryan. Penciler, Rachel Forbes Sees. Inker, Mark Hike. Letterer, Phil Felix. Colorist, Ray Murtaugh. Editor, Margaret Clark. The cover simply presents the Enterprise and what appears to be a Klingon battlecruiser. And yes, I am saying Klingon, but it'll change later. That's my first impression of what it was. Both broken and on fire, spinning out of control in space. Bold blue type presents the phrase, Mutual Destruction Assured. The Enterprise is investigating the disappearance of four freighter ships and one scout-class ship near the Romulan neutral zone. With ship losses and other harassment of Federation shipping in the area, Kirk puts the ship on high alert. Mr. Spock detects an ion trail consistent with Romulan engines, but there is no sign of a ship in sensor range. Kirk orders max power to sensors. Spock detects a minor power fluctuation outside the ship. Kirk orders shields to be raised. Indeed, it is a Romulan ship that was cloaked, and they come under fire. Again, the Romulan ship is using a Klingon heavy cruiser design. They come around and fire all phasers at their attacker. On Kirk's order, Ahura broadcasts that they are on a peaceful mission and asks for a ceasefire. No audio response from the Romulans, but their two direct hits on the Enterprise's port shields bring them down to 40%. Kirk orders photon torpedoes. Their hits damage the Romulans' forward and starboard shields. Spock has figured out the timing of the Romulan weapons recharge cycle. Kirk orders Sulu to come in close after their next weapons discharge and then open up with continuous phaser fire. The plan is executed, and it works. They get a direct hit on the Romulan ship's soft underbelly, which causes their port shields to drop. Kirk, thinking they might be more open to talking now, orders Ohura to open a channel, but instead the Romulans come about and fire on the Enterprise's weakened port shields they drop. Kirk orders photon torpedoes to be fired on his order. They try to turn to protect their exposed port side, but the Romulans make a run at them and get too close for comfort. Kirk orders fire. The Romulans fire too. As they pass each other, Spock reports the Romulan ship appears to be disabled. Damage and casual reports come in from all over the ship. Sensors severely limited. Subspace communication is out. Scotty reports warp and impulse engines are offline. Phasers and photon torpedoes are inoperative. Transporters are offline. Kirk orders Scotty to fix the shields and weapons as top priority. Scotty says he will try, but he needs starbase facilities to do the kind of repairs the Enterprise needs right now. The damaged sensors do not pick up any power emanations from the Romulan ship. No answer to Ohura's attempts to contact them using old-fashioned radio communications, since subspace communications is out. Kirk calls for a meeting of his senior staff immediately. The assembled officers come to the conclusion that both ships are damaged enough that they cannot attack, flee, or call for help. It's a race to see who can repair their major systems first. Kirk states the Romulans will not be handing out any second-place prizes in this race. The Romulan vessel finally responds to Kirk's hails. They call Kirk a cowardly Federation invader. They claim the Federation has been attacking their vessels. When Kirk accuses the Romulans of the same thing, Kirk proposes that a third party may be attacking them both and that they should start sharing information. 
the Romulan commander says he is sending over some information to Kirk as a show of good faith. With their guard temporarily dropped, unfortunately what the Romulan is really up to is launching a probe armed with a makeshift antimatter charge. When they see it coming, Kirk calls for full power to the shields. The explosion completely knocks out the shields, but that is the extent of their damage. In engineering, Kirk and Scotty come up with a plan to load a shuttlecraft with antimatter charges and remote control the shuttle into the Romulan ship. If the Romulan ship's engines in turn exploded, it could be a large enough explosion to destroy the Enterprise also. Kirk asks Scotty to begin work on this, but only as a contingency plan. Later, Spock informs Kirk that long-range sensors have picked up an unknown ship attacking a Romulan freighter, possibly the third party that is attacking both sides. Since they picked it up on sensors, they hope the Romulans did too, since the unidentified ship has broken off their attack and is heading towards the Enterprise and Romulan ship. They are hailed by the Romulan commander, who tells them of the unknown ship who is attacking one of their freighters. They agree to a truce and start sharing information and parts to get their ships as ready for the coming fight as they can. Spock will lead a team to the Romulan ship, and Scotty will supervise the Romulan team that will come to the Enterprise. The teams will identify parts from each other's ships that will get the key systems working on their ships. However, in many cases, they do not have spare parts. So the Romulans will be giving up something such as operational long-range sensors to give the Enterprise coils it needs to get limited phaser functionality. The Enterprise gives up some parts also, some converters, to get the Romulan ship's weapons fully functional. Eight hours later, both repair crews are back in their own ships. Both crews are as ready as they can be for the coming fight. The Enterprise has impulse engines working and 20% shields. The Romulan ship has full weapons and minimal shields. Kirk speaks to the Romulan captain. The Enterprise is sending real-time information as to the location of the intruder. The Romulan captain says they will target them as soon as they are within range. They wish each other luck. The alien ship is of an unfamiliar configuration. It comes in and fires on the Enterprise with low-power disruptor weapons. The Romulan ship holds fire, hoping to bait the alien in closer before they play their hand. The Romulan ship fires on the intruder and weakens their shields. The intruder turns away from the Enterprise and focuses fire on the Romulan ship with minimal shields and functional weapon systems. The Romulan ship starts to take hull damage. Kirk orders the launch of the shuttlecraft loaded with antimatter. The explosion causes a temporary power loss in the alien ship, but it's all too temporary as power is restored quickly. The aliens turn to attack the Enterprise. They get through the shields and start to cause hull damage. The Romulan ship's main engines come online and they move towards the alien vessel. Their power systems become more and more unstable as they attempt to charge up their weapons. They get close to the alien vessel as they blow up from a catastrophic engine failure. Both ships are destroyed. Spock cannot tell if the Romulans blew themselves up intentionally or if they blew up unintentionally due to main drive damage. Later, when the Enterprise damage is repaired enough for warp flight and subspace communications, they inform Starfleet of the new enemy. 
Kirk personally prepares a message for Romulan command. Mr. Sulu, best speed home. The end. For now. For now, baby. Yes. So, Enterprise is pretty beat up at the end of this one. It is. It reminds me of some of those, that Pike issue, where they were coming up against, I forgot who the aliens were, but the Enterprise, back in those days, got beat up pretty good. Mm, I don't remember that one. Yeah. It's a Pike episode. Issue. Story. Right. Yep. So, anyways, I, I enjoyed this one, and I like the sacrifice the Romulans made there towards the end. Yes, but I also like how they kept it open-ended. So they don't right. tell you... F- I mean, it was a sacrifice, but, but did they do it intentionally? Or was it unintentional because they thought their engines could handle it, but it turns out they couldn't? Hmm. So I like how they kind of left that open. A little ambiguous. Exactly. Make up your own mind. And in the end, you'll never know. Because they're dead, they're gone, no way to tell. <laughs> yeah, I I liked it. Uh, and, uh, you know... I, I, I'm, I'm with you. When I saw the cover, oh, Klingon issue. Yeah. And then, nope, Romulans. <laughs> yes, because of uh, what uh, tight budgets, a broken Romulan ship model. What I. Yeah, I don't I'm, know. I'm sure it was reason. budgetary. Or it could have been the. I, I, so I think was it Brian that was on here uh, on the ep- on the show, and he told us that he had heard that it was somebody had broken the model the Romulan model right I, th- I think that's right I never heard that before then but. so I had never heard it either but I can see that but it, may, <laughs> I mean, it makes a, sense a otherwise budget. yeah why repaint it well, repaint the Romulan one when you had a I mean repaint the Klingon one when you had the Romulan one so makes sense <sighs> yeah I guess it just sounds I mean it, it makes sense but it's it it's a weak budgetary thing it's like come on yeah, all Spock has to say is, reports have said the Romulans are now using Klingon designs. You know, that, that explains everything? Okay, fine, we'll go with it. Yes. Reports say that Klingons now look a lot like humans. <laughs> uh, but in the future, they'll look totally different. Go figure. The future and the past. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, um... So, did you like this issue? I did. I like space battle ones, if mm-hmm. they're handled well. And in general, I think they handle this pretty well. You know, bo- yeah. bo- both combatants very evenly matched, you know, slugging it out, losing systems, and then beaten and bloody, just, like, disabled <laughs> uh, by the end of the uh, the battle. Right. And, you, and you'd figure in a real space battle... Well, in a real space battle, you'd probably just blow up. But, you know, I mean, if you really, I mean, in a real space battle where you've got this ship holding in all this pressurized air and all this, eh, well, whatever. I, I liked it. I liked it. And I'll, I really liked the, uh, you know, the uneasy truce. Yes. And it was, I, I didn't go into it, but it was an uneasy truce. Right. The Romulan captain and the first officer took multiple opportunities to say, this changes nothing. You know, while they're working together. Exactly. Right. No, I thought it was good. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I don't have a ton of comments to talk about, uh, except, you know, I do have a few. But uh, overall, I I thought this was a good issue. Mm-hmm. It, it was pretty fast-paced. Um, 
and uh, you know, it was good. Yeah. So, uh, remind me, original series, did they have work overalls like like these green ones? <laughs> That's one of the first things I wanted to say too. No, they didn't. I, th- there might have been some first season episodes where they might have shown uh, somebody in work overalls, but I don't remember them ever being green. And when they fir- when I first saw them in this issue, uh, page six, I think it was, it's like Kirk was in his command yellow, gold, whatever, uniform. But I see Ahura with a green outfit on. It's got a little mm-hmm. lapels on it. It's like, what right. the hell's that? And then I see Sulu and Chekhov with them on too. And it's like... Wait a minute! What's going on? And then, and then a few panels later, it's like, oh, these are work overalls, and everybody's changed into them. And it's like, oh, oh, that's what it is. I mean, yeah, even man. Kirk ends up in them down in engineering at one point. Right. And it's like, I don't, I, I don't remember ever seeing normal crew. I mean, non-engineering crewmen getting into anything like that. And by the way. I thought it was odd how Scotty, who is probably the guy who is most rolling up his sleeves, all, never gets into the green outfit. Oh, does he not? The work overlock. He, he's always in red. He's always in his red. Uh, you know, his he, normal he red likes, tunic. He likes to have his all dirtied up. <laughs> he wants people to know that he's working. Exactly. Come on. And isn't he the first guy that gets into the radiation suit in the um, in the movies? Come on. I don't know if he's the Especially first Especially Wrath of Khan. But he is in it. He, he's in the radiation suits. Which, now that makes sense to me. But getting into these work overalls when you're on the bridge trying to fix something? Right. I don't right. I mean, how dirty are you going to get? I don't know. Yeah, and do they just fit on top of your current uh, clothes? Because if so, where's Ahura's skirt? She has it all bunched up. You know. Well, there isn't much to her skirt. I don't know if you noticed yeah, that. Good point, good point. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way we like it. Anyways. It looked like they have white undershirts underneath it, so it, they must change clothes yeah. to put on these overalls. I would think so. It'd be more comfortable that way. Which defeats the purpose of you know, needing to put them on real quick to keep yourself clean while you're working on something. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know if it had any... Uh, president in the uh, in the actual show if it had actually been in there before um, I've never seen the officers change in anything like that there might have been some background crewmen that would have some kind of overalls on but I don't remember them ever being green mm, okay alright and then my only other comment in this issue is mm-hmm. they talk about uh, the Romulans asking for Spock by name mm-hmm Nothing ever comes of that. No. Just, they ask for you to come over there by name, and then he does, and he comes back, and all, everything's good. Yeah. And the only thing I can figure by they, them even mentioning that part about asking for him by name is just to underscore how much information the Romulans have uh, about the Federation. You know? uh, good point. They're sneaky. They got spies. They know more about us than we know about them. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, good point. Yeah. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. Uh, you're right. That does make sense. Okay. So what about what about the uh, the alien ship's design? I thought it was bland and unimpressive. Right, just uh, the two nacelles on a on a little boat looking thing, like a cruise yeah, boat. It, <laughs> a rounded off cruise ship. That's a good point. That's a good point. 
Yeah, other than the two two nacelles, which are close in, it's not like they're on pylons or something. They're close into the hull. I thought it was a new design, you know, one you you don't typically see in the Star Trek universe, other than the the two nacelles, which pretty much everything seems to need two nacelles. Um, I thought it was unique, but it was also boring. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't too impressed with it. No, and the nacelles kind of look like pontoons. Like on a catamaran or something? Exactly. That's what I was getting at. That's yeah. what I thought when I first saw it. Right. It looked like a boat. It looked like a big boat on pontoons. Like right. A, like, like the. Oh, do you know what it like reminds me of? Titanic or something on, on pontoons. You, yeah. Another thing it reminds me of, and it just, just occurred to me right now. You remember the Merrimack and the Monitor, which were uh, Civil War basically submarines used in the Civil War. I've heard of them. I don't think I've ever seen pictures of them. Well, back in high school history class, for some reason, you know, they went into a little bit more detail in our textbooks, and I have seen pictures of them. And uh, and that reminds me a little bit of it. Maybe that's what they were going for. I don't know, maybe. I mean, just because of the fact that there's like a boat-like structure at the bottom, and then they've got it comes up to like a smaller thing coming up the top, and I guess that's where the people were, at least the people that want to see out of the thing. Right. Anyway, just like mm. throw that in. Good point. Let's see. Um, you mentioned how at this time period we had multiple situations where aliens' penal or legal systems were, you know, uh, something they were challenged with. Right. Uh, Another thing that I, that seems to be coming up lately are third parties that are trying to get Romulans in the Federation or Klingons in the Federation to fight. Right. So what's up with that? I don't know, but it's a common theme lately in some of the issues we've been reading for the episodes. Yep. All right. Remind me. Give me an example. I mean, the the Nazgul from way back when, but what was the more recent one? There were some more recent issues where third parties were trying to get the Klingons and the Federation to fight. No, actually, Tholians. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and the Borg. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, well, yeah, that the, was just last the Borg week. offshoot. Exactly. <laughs> the Borg offshoot was doing it, but then they were trying to get the Tholians to fight the Klingons and the um, Federation. Right. Right. Good point. Well, actually, were they they weren't really trying to... No, no, they had other objectives. That was yeah, just a byproduct. That was just a byproduct. Right. Where in this issue, these aliens seem to be purposely provoking a war between uh, Romulans and the Federation. But still, third party, unknown third party. We don't know what they're doing. Ah, uh, yeah. They could have some other unknown agenda, but I think it's probably pretty clear a power play. Well, but we'll find, we'll find out. But we Perhaps. won't find out next issue. No. <laughs> no. All right. What else speaking of which, I really... My last thing just to say is I thought that the ending came rather abruptly. So... Uh, with the crash? With the explosion, yes. Hmm. So they... In one page, they resolved the three-way fight and then wrapped up everything. Right. Yeah, they wrapped I, I, up I thought, in one panel. Right. So I thought it was, you know, so the 
the Romulan ship explodes at the at the top of the page, last page, and then everything else happened in that you know that single page to wrap up the issue. So yeah, I just I thought it was a little fast. Right, but the trade-off was that we had that beautiful uh, two-page spread, right, in this issue, or was that oh that's next issue? Never mind. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> anyway, so three panels in one page ends the fight and wraps up the issue. So pretty quick. Right. But uh, I guess that's okay because you were able to spend more time in the fight, I guess, in right. describing the fight. But so we I guess get that's like an okay trade off. a cute little joke at the end. Oh. Get da, da. No. No, we didn't get that, did we? That's okay. Is it? It is because, you know, half the time they actually were kind of amusing, and the other half of the time is they were painfully forced. <laughs> and they shouldn't have even done it. Right. In the original series. Right. All right. That's well, my last comment. Jump on into the next one. Let's do it. All right. So issue 78 came out December of 1995. Uh, it is entitled The Chosen Part 1, The Hunted. Uh, writing staff is all the same. So the cover, uh, there's a bottom caption that says The Hunted. And the cover itself shows Kirk, Spock, and McCoy in their original series uniforms, each holding a phaser and looking ready for some action. So starts off with the captain's log and letting us know that it's been three months since the events of last issue with the Romulans and the mystery ship. The Enterprise has spent most of that time limping back to a starbase. The rest of the time was spent repairing the battered starship. Now, with Scotty's thumbs up for approval, the Enterprise is leaving to resume its mission. While en route to a star cluster, the Enterprise picks up a distress call that is emanating from within the Klingon border. They do not detect any Klingon ships incoming to help, so Kirk chooses to enter the neutral zone and offer assistance. When they arrive to the planet, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and three other random crew members beam down to investigate. The three random officers go off on their own, while the three main characters stay together. The reader now thinks to themselves, I wonder which two of these groups are going to make it out. Hmm. Anyways, both groups and the Enterprise are scanning the planet, and they're finding out that the colony here is completely destroyed with no signs of life. Also, the attack seems to be made by Federation weapons based on the evidence that they're detecting. Spock tries to access the Klingons' databases, and he finds that they're wiped out, or at least there was an attempt to wipe out the data. McCoy reminds everybody that they need to get out of there before a Klingon ship arrives and thinks that the Enterprise is to blame for all this carnage. As if on cue, a Klingon battleship arrives, captained by none other than Kang. Kang does not believe Scotty's story that they were there to offer assistance to the distress call. Kang beams down people of his own to take out the landing party, and he chases the Enterprise to a nearby asteroid belt. Scotty refuses to attack the Klingons outright, since they are only protecting their own. On the planet, Kirk is in communicator contact with the three random crewmen when they are attacked and killed by the Klingon landing party. The Klingons enter the building that Kirk is in, 
but Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are able to get the drop on them and stun all of them. Scotty orders Sulu to make some crazy maneuvers within the asteroid belt, and the Klingon ship is unable to match and collides with an asteroid. Uh, It takes heavy damage and knocks out its warp drive. The Enterprise returns to the planet, and Scotty beams up the crew, both living and the dead. Kirk and the rest of the crew feel that this may be the start of a Klingon Federation war that has been brewing for so long. They speculate that maybe the Organians might be able to help once again calm down the situation. But Spock states that they have not interfered except for that one time when it was within their own system. The speculation is cut short when Kirk receives an emergency communication from Starfleet. The Enterprise is being ordered away from Klingon space and a return to Starbase 7 at maximum warp. It seems that there's been an issue at the Romulan border. To be continued. Boy, what a trap. Obviously somebody was laying a trap. They baited the Enterprise in. They made all the weapons signatures look like Starfleet weapons. It's like, this is a setup. Right. Yeah, I I didn't think about it being a setup because of the Federation weapons, but you might be right. Well, how else are they going to get? You know, so this is the typical thing. Oh, look, these blast points are too fine to be made by sand people. <laughs> you know, there, there's always something about a trace residence, or there's always something where you can tell who did something. You know, weapon signatures, and it's right. not. I mean, either the Federation did the attack, which is that didn't happen, or somebody's planning evidence to make it look like it. And then baiting the Enterprise in with that distress call. It's like... Or we might get the same thing that we got with the Borg. I mean, there it is possible that someone could steal Federation technology and fire on these Klingons. Yes. It doesn't necessarily have to be purposely trying to make it look like the Federation. But you might be right, and you probably are, but I'm just playing devil's advocate here. There you go. Yeah, we don't know. This is this is all just what it's indicating. At the, especially at the beginning of the issue, where they're talking about, ooh, you're by the Klingon border. Ooh, you've got a, a distress call, and you got to go in. And then, oh no, it's a trap. You know, the first thing I was saying was Kobayashi Maru. Kobayashi Maru. Uh, Kirk, exactly. you've been through this already. What's <laughs> wrong with you? I was thinking the exact same thing. Kobe Ashimaru, for sure. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. I, and uh, I wish they would have brought it up. When did Star Trek II come out? Uh, well, I don't know. But 80, when, what? 82? Okay, yeah. So so that's clearly been out there when, the, when this comic was written and penciled. So oh, yeah. Absolutely. That was an established thing in the Star Trek universe, so... And nobody even mentioned it? Right. Yeah, yeah. no, it seems weird. Yeah. It, it definitely felt like the Kobayashi Maru, except it was a planet instead of a ship. Right. Yeah. So, another thing that's odd is that when they get to the planet, there's no bodies. They don't They don't say this, but there is no bodies anywhere. Um, and that's interesting. If it was a third party trying to incite a war, there'd probably be dead Klingons there. Right. So I did think that was a little weird. Yeah, good point. And I thought it was weird that nobody mentioned it. You know, there's no signs of life, but there's also no dead people, so... Right. 
either who, if there was an attack, somebody cleaned them all up, or things aren't quite what they seem. Exactly. It's a mystery. It's a poser. So I like how they mentioned the Organians. As um, a throwaway line. Yeah. Yeah. And then basically, what, I think it's Kirk that says, uh, we'd better not count on the Organians to uh, intercede in this. Right. So. So you think you think they're going to come back, or do you really think that was a throwaway line? I do not think the Organians are going to get involved in this, but I think it was probably good for them to actually at least acknowledge the Organians that stopped the last Klingon Federation war, just to say, yes, we acknowledge it's a possibility, but we're not counting on it. So, right. And I don't think they'll come up again in this. No. This this story arc. I don't either. Now, one thing I found very interesting, at the end, when the Enterprise is ordered to go to the Romulan border... Yeah, what's up um, with that? So, a war on two fronts. Because, of course, as you'll recall from the last issue, they were near the Romulan border getting into trouble. Mm -hmm. Now they're at the Klingon border getting into trouble. Coincidence? I don't think so. Right. Now, I mentioned that the last issue was related to this one, because that's just my feeling that it is. Right. Uh, but I, I have no idea if it really is, aside from the throwaway line at the beginning that they repaired all the damage. So, but but because they're about to go to the Romulan border it makes me feel like like the two stories aren't going to be connected. Right. Even though it may not say, you know, the chosen part 1 or it didn't say anything about the chosen. Right. And what is that? The chosen. So who exactly is the chosen anyway? Is it the Federation? Is it the Romulans? Is it the Klingons? Is it this this mystery third party aliens? Who's chosen? I don't know. It might be Kirk himself. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Don't Could know. be. Is it McCoy? I doubt McCoy. <laughs> is it? Is it Spock? They did mention his name. They mentioned his name by him by name, but those were exactly. Romulans. Oh, damn Romulans! Anyway, <laughs> so it's a clue. It's just I know I haven't read these, so you obviously haven't either. I have not. Because again, as you mentioned before the recording. The comic book showed yellow shirts on the cover, so forget it. Yep, as a kid, I was out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you don't show me on the cover some Wrath of Khan uniforms, I'm not interested in Star Trek. Thank when you were that age. When, when you I was were that, that age. age. Yes. Yeah. I have since become wiser. <laughs> <laughs> in your old age, yes. Lovely. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to what's going on here, because I don't yeah. know. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I, I, you know, last issue, this issue, I thought had some good, you know, space battles. I really loved the asteroid belt type, you know, almost Return of the or Empire Strikes Back type flying through the asteroid belt, but with a giant ship. Yeah, I thought that was actually pretty cool. Yeah, a little bit more than a, like a medium-sized Millennium Falcon. Right. Yeah, or a uh, or a star destroyer just kind of <laughs> coming in, driving through it all. Right, taking out, you know, all these asteroids. destroying whole ships. Right, I mean, because Darth Vader orders them all into the asteroid belt, and I think one ship gets completely destroyed because he's talking to the captain when the asteroid comes. Oh, right, and you see the guy. That I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that but, and and that was not a, just a Tie Fighter, my friend. That was probably a pretty big ship. 
Right. So no, I I love that you know in this issue, Sulu was able to get them right between those uh, asteroids as they were about to collide, and exactly. the ship didn't quite make it. That's right. He's good. And, and here's where I was saying last issue that I really thought Scotty had some good lines. Is that you know Scotty? Yes, he he probably could destroy the Klingon ship, but he doesn't want to because yeah. the Klingon ship's just there, you know, trying to take care of its own people, doing what it thinks is right, and and he you know he acknowledges that, and he's going to go out of his way not to, you know, make the situation worse, which I I really liked. He has shown very good judgment while at the con in the last two issues. Very nice. Yep, I thought it was good. Yep, 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 yep. All right, and then my last comment, if you don't have anything ready. I, uh, I, the only thing I want to say is uh, I think it's cool seeing Kang. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In this time period, we either see Kang or we see... Core? Uh, Core. Right? right. So it was good seeing Kang. You know, we haven't seen him for a while. Right. Great. Yep. That's my last comment. Go. Uh, my last comment was just that that two-page spread there on page 19 and 20 where mm-hmm. the Enterprise is facing off against the the Klingon ship. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just beautiful. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a thing of beauty. Yeah, so the top of page 19 has Chekhov and Scotty talking to each other, and then the bottom of page 20 has Kang talking to his his uh, minions or whatever. Right. And it's just I it's really well done. Yeah, the ships, it, it is well done. But I gotta say, in general, again, I'm not a, I, I'm not a fan of how people are drawn in these. I just, again, you, think it's a little on the rough side. You think it lacks detail? Mm, yes. Mm. But the ships look good. Right. Some of the space battle stuff. Mm. There you go. All right. Just personal Every, preference. Everybody has their own opinions. Personal preference. All right. So uh, is that is that really your last dish comment? That's it. I'm done. Okay. So uh, just real quick, expanded universe. Well, we're kind of running long, so we'll do this uh, a little brief. So in October, there was a Next Generation novel called The Last Stand by Brad Ferguson. Uh, this is a post- Season 7 before Generations story. Never read it, but uh, looks good. Brad Ferguson has written two other original series novels, and he wrote one of the Starfleet Academy stories, which is the you know the young adult books. Cool. That you love so much. That you've never I've never read, read one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. And then also that month, speaking of young adult books, there was a Next Generation young adult book called Starfall by Brad Strickland and Barbara Strickland. This is about Picard trying to get into Starfleet Academy after he fails his first time. Uh, I think it's his way of trying to redeem himself and in, in getting into Starfleet, which, you know, is referenced to in, in the episodes where he talks about how he didn't get into Starfleet on his first try. So mm-hmm. what's interesting about that is the cover, at least because I haven't actually read the book, but the cover shows young Picard in a original series tunics and the rest of the people on the bridge in original series attire, hmm. which I would have to look at the timelines, but I don't think Picard would have been 
quite that old during right. the yellow shirt days. Yeah, well, because the yellow shirt days obviously transitioned into the red shirt days. With the gray the pajamas, movies. but with the gray pajamas in the middle. Right. Okay, fine. <laughs> good point, good point. The pajamas. Right. Yeah, good point. So anyways, I, I don't know if I'm going to try to figure figure that, that timeline out. Just, oh, just you've committed yourself there. now. <laughs> I think you need to do the research. And you're just the guy to do it. All right, I'll look into it. All right, so also that month was a Deep Space Nine novelization, The Way of the Warrior by Diane Carey, which is uh, obviously a novelization of the season four opener where Worf joins the Deep Space Nine group. November, a Deep Space Nine novel called Station Rage, also by Diane Carey. I'm not really that familiar with this at all, though the cover looks cool because it has a alien that looks like a skull on the cover. Ooh, scary. Yep. So there was a Voyager novel called The Incident at Arbuck by John Gregory Benicourt. Betancourt. I'm not familiar with that one at all. Uh, December, I am familiar with this one. A Peter David original series novel entitled The Captain's Daughter. Mm. Who do you think it's about? Not the Romulan Kirk hybrid we saw in the comics. <laughs> no, that would be awesome, though. Yeah. No, this is about Demora Sulu. So it kind of gives oh, gotcha. her kind of her backstory, and you know the the majority of the story is based after the beginning of Generation. So it's her and Harriman on the Enterprise B. Mm-hmm. She has a little interaction with her with her father. Captain Sulu and the Excelsior. It is a really good book. I recommend anybody who likes to read the novels to read that one. Cool. Also that month was a Next Generation novel called Crossover by Michael Jan Friedman. You've heard of him? I've heard of him before. And Crossover also is one of my favorite books because it's based in the Next Generation timeline. I think it it's before Generations because I think the Enterprise is in it, Enterprise D. But... Um, it has Scotty, McCoy, and Spock, you know, because they're still alive in that in that timeline. And uh, it's like they they end up on an adventure, and and the Enterprise D is kind of brought into the mix too. Uh, they're basically they get an old Constitution class ship out of out of the the museum and take out the mothballs, and they're taking it out on an adventure. <laughs> it's actually a pretty good story. I, I recommend. Room and I recommend that one a lot. Right. All right. So uh, lastly, there's a next generation young adult novel called Nova Command, also by Brad Strickland and Barbara Strickland. And this looks like it's uh, again Picard. He finally got into Starfleet, and this is his first year in Starfleet. It's entitled Nova Command. If I didn't mention that before. Cool. And uh, I guess there is one other book, the Star Trek Generations novelization by J.M. Dillard. Uh, I guess it came out as a paperback that month, but the hardcover had already been out for a while. That's it. Cool. That finishes up 1995. Wow. As as books go. So much material for the Star Trek fan. And I was eating it all up, man. I remember <laughs> I would I would literally have the days that these books were going to come out, you know, especially the next generation stuff. Right. 
And I was counting down the days until I could run over to Walden Books and pick it up. Ah, pounce. Pounce on it. Cool. All right, so uh, next week we will be back with Next Generation 76 through 78. Great. So, that it? That's it? Okay, well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Take care, everybody. See you next time on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.